How many of you know what tomorrow is? <laughs> if you say Monday, you're right. Good. Maybe some of you said December the 28th, and you would be right again. Um, but what you may not know is that tomorrow is actually something else. And it has been this since about 2007. Uh, December the 28th has been an unofficial holiday celebrated in Times Square. And they, they've called it Good Riddance Day. Good Riddance Day was, was, is an, actually an adaptation and was inspired by a practice in Latin America where New Year's revelers uh, would, would often put relics and, and artifacts that represented bad memories of, of the year inside of these little dolls, and then they would light those dolls on fire. Now, I, I got to insert this. The other night, I played a game for the first time. I didn't, I didn't even know anything about the game, but I loved the name. Exploding Kittens. <laughs> now, if you know my hatred for cats, you got to know that game was my kind of game. Watching a cat <laughs> blow up was awesome. Now, I didn't actually get to see it, but in my mind, it was happening, and I was loving it. Sorry, Miss Karen. Sorry, Dolan. Good riddance day. Now, wisely, New Yorkers have, <laughs> have adapted it a bit, and they're not lighting fires uh, in Times Square. But what they have opted to do is they allow people to write all of their grievances down on paper and then toss them into a shredder, giving them the... Um, the pleasure of, of saying goodbye to things like painful memories and bad experiences and foolish mistakes and bad relationships and dumb choices and long-held grudges that had been gunking up their, their insides. And, and I really like this, if merely shredding did not bring you the emotional release that you were hoping it would, you can also use a sledgehammer. So whatever it takes. One blogger clearly loves the idea, and here's what he wrote. He said, I think this is becoming one of my favorite holidays. Today's the chance to say good riddance to, some, to something and he said, I'm making quite a list. With the Lord's help, I want to preach to you this morning under this title from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2020, the year of good riddance. I know Pastor Tyler's already asked this, but, but how many of you are ready to kick 2020 to the curb? I mean like right now, just give it the boot. Surely I, I'm not the only one here this morning who wishes that we could say good riddance to COVID-19 and ventilators 
and lockdowns and masks and social distancing and the dreaded virtual meeting. How many of you are like me and you're sick of having to, to scan a QR code to look at a menu? Or to ask the waitress for something as simple as salt or pepper or ketchup for crying out loud, just leave them on the table. But no, they've got to put their grubby hands all over the little packets and put them in a container that they're going to handle with their grubby little hands and then hand to you. Do not get me started. I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of COVID-related things that we would love to say good riddance to. But some here this morning, no doubt, have some non-COVID-related things that you would love to say farewell to also. Perhaps some things like I just mentioned painful memories, bad experiences, foolish mistakes, bad relationships, dumb choices. <laughs> and each of those could certainly be a sermon in itself, but I'm not going to zero in on, on any of those. Really what I feel the Lord would, would have me address during our time together this morning is letting go of anger, saying farewell to bitterness, and casting off our malice toward those who hurt us. In a word, in a word, I want to preach to you this morning about forgiveness. As long as we are unwilling to forgive, the people who have hurt us win a double victory. The first victory they won was when they hurt us. And the second victory is when we refuse to let it go and move on. Because we unfortunately live in a fallen world, we struggle with things like broken relationships and painful words and deceitful actions and friends who turn against us and unkind words that are, are said about us or, or our loved ones. And because we live in a fallen world, a couple of other things are true as well. First, we will always be in need of forgiveness ourselves. And second, we will always have someone we need to forgive. And it's going to be that way as long as we live. In this sin, on this sin-cursed earth. And this is where really our text becomes so relevant to us this morning. If you haven't already, be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll read what Paul had to say in a moment, but let me give you some background and, and context to what we're about to read. In this paragraph, Paul challenges the Christians at Corinth to reach out and forgive a man in the congregation who had sinned. 
We don't know exactly who, who this man was. I'll share a couple of schools of thought uh, with you uh, as far as introduction is concerned. And one of those is the thought that the man mentioned here in 2 Corinthians that needed to be forgiven was a man who was first spoken of in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who was committing an unmentionable immorality. He was actually committing incest. And worse yet, the church at Corinth was, was glorying in their grace in allowing this man to remain in the congregation. And if you go read Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, you'll find that he uh, instructed the church to come together as a church body and to officially put this man out of the church with the hope that, that having been cut off from Christian fellowship, he might eventually come to a place of repentance. And if that's the man that is in view here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, then the excommunication, if you will, clearly worked because the man repented and he wanted back in the church. But the congregation refused to receive him. And that, that may very well be the background. But there's, a, there's another school of thought, and really this is probably the most uh, popular among commentators. It's the one that most of them seem to agree on. And it's another situation uh, in, in which Paul was defied by a man. And I'm not going to all of it, but some false teachers. When Paul left Corinth, some false teachers had come into the church and word got back to Paul. And, and so he had, had written a letter. It's, it, it's not an extant letter. It's not a, a letter that was included in the canon of scripture, but it was a hard letter. It was a harsh letter. Uh, and then Paul eventually went back to Corinth and and many believe the man spoken of here in need of forgiveness was a man who actually defied Paul. One of the false teachers that Paul had, had called out and now Paul was there. He was confronting him and this man was defying him and openly insulting him. And some even believe that, that he accused Paul of misusing a special offering that he was taking up for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But e either way, at the end of the day, whichever situation it was, the need for forgiveness was real. And that's what Paul addresses beginning in, second, in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Follow with me. But if any man have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part. And in other words, and I'll elaborate on this in a minute. What Paul's trying to do here is not blow this thing out of proportion. He, he was hurt by what happened, but, but he's minimizing it the best he can. That I may not overcharge you all, he said. Verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. So that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him. And comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. 
Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Verse 11, lest, Paul said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. As we survey the passage here, let's note five benefits, if you will, of forgiveness. And the first one is this, forgiveness displays God's mercy. Go back to verses 5 and 6 and, and, and Paul's writing here, what he was saying to the church was this, you did the right thing. When you disciplined this man, when you brought him before the church body, you did the right thing. But church, now it's time to forgive him and to once again receive him into the fellowship. Forgiveness in that case displays the mercy of God. And here's why I say that. I, I, I gather that from, from verses like uh, verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 103 where the psalmist said, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. And then he said this, He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. If God treated us the way that, that sometimes we treat others, we would never be forgiven at all for anything. I alluded to this a moment ago. I think something important to point out here is number one, Paul didn't ignore the offense Paul didn't say he wasn't grieved. He, he didn't say that, that I wasn't hurt. But what he did not do was he did not respond in pride. Blowing this thing out of proportion and trying to rally the troops to circle the wagons in his defense. Pride is one of the chief causes of an unforgiving heart. A prideful reaction to an offense. I mean, it can run the gamut everywhere from, from wallowing in self-pity to violent retaliation and to anything in between. But there was no place in Paul's heart for things like self-glory or self-protection or self-pity or a wounded ego or retaliation. Paul's view was this, the man had repented. The incident was closed. It's time to move on. There was no need to inflict more pain or, or smear his reputation unnecessarily. And let, let's talk about that for a moment in this age of, of instant communication via Facebook or Twitter or whatever else is out there. It has become so easy to attack people and exact virtual revenge on those who hurt us. Paul looked at the situation 
And here's what he said, church, enough is enough. And by the way, that's what love does. Love doesn't smear someone. Love doesn't humiliate others. From what I understand in the scriptures, uh, from verses like 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers sin. Paul had nothing but love and forgiveness in his heart toward the person who had wronged him. Paul exemplified the forgiveness Jesus commanded. And as no doubt you've heard said before, we are never more like Christ than we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgiveness displays God's mercy. The second thing it does, forgiveness restores the sinner. Look again at how Paul puts it in verses 7 and 8. So that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Look at it. Forgive him. Comfort him. Confirm your love toward him. Listen, church, those are acts of restoration. But if we're not careful, we can be like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son and respond with acts of rejection. I don't know, you're probably familiar with that story. Deep, down deep, the, the sins of others often disgust us to the point that we really don't want them to repent. Because if they repent, that means we have to forgive. And in so many of those instances, in our minds, forgiveness just seems too cheap. It's too easy. We shouldn't let them off the hook. And I'll not, I'll not elaborate this, but honestly, church, when we forgive someone, we're not letting them off the hook. We're letting ourselves off the hook. I mean, after all, we're not the ones who played by, or excuse me, we're the ones who played by the rules. We're not the one who asked for our inheritance early. We're not the one that went off into the far country and, and wasted it on riotous living. And we're sure not the ones who ended up eating with the pigs. Or in more modern day terms, hey, we're not the ones who got into a bad marriage. Our kids aren't the kids that are in trouble with the law. Hey, we built our life around the church. We are good Bible-believing Christians who serve in the ministry of the church, and we tithe, and we give to missions. We're not like those other people. And when asked, oh, well, sure, I believe in forgiveness. Absolutely. And we do, at least in theory. But when it comes to someone we knew, and thought we could trust? Or someone who let us down or hurt us deeply? It really puts our belief in forgiveness to the test. And we're not so quick to forgive. When we read the story of, of the prodigal son, we have to ask, who was worse off? Was it the son who left and came back? Or was it the son 
who never left, but at the same time would never forgive the brother who did. In the end, it seems as if the older brother is worse off because he cannot bring himself to rejoice in his younger brother's return. And such was the case in Corinth. Those those who were without sin, or at least without the sin of this other guy, were not near as quick to forgive and restore him to his rightful place in the fellowship as they should have been. And that's what Paul is addressing. Listen, if there is no hope of forgiveness for the worst of sinners, then there is no hope for any of us. True forgiveness displays God's mercy. True biblical forgiveness restores the sinner. And thirdly, forgiveness demonstrates obedience. In verse 9, Paul clearly states that he wanted to see if the Corinthian believers were going to act obediently in extending forgiveness to their repentant brother in Christ. And after all, that's what Jesus said they were supposed to do. Here's his exact words in in Luke 17 and verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. Jesus said, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, what church, help me. Forgive him. Yeah, confront him. Talk to him about it. And if he repents, Jesus said, hey, you need to forgive him. Obedience to God's word demands that we do the hard work of forgiveness. And let's be honest, sometimes it is hard. Can I get a witness right there? Sometimes forgiveness is hard. Especially if the person involved hurt us or someone we love deeply. But think about it for a minute. Doesn't it make more sense that the bigger the hurt the more you would want to get rid of it? Why do we choose to carry around this mountain of hurt that continually weighs us down and robs us of our joy? I submit to you this morning that the hurt is too big and runs too deep is only an excuse for not being obedient in practicing biblical forgiveness. Another common excuse is that people believe time will heal it. Listen, time heals nothing. Time may allow it some hurt to scar over, but it won't heal. Because the moment someone brings up the name or the names of those who hurt you, or they recount the incident in which you were hurt, or you see them out and about at Walmart or wherever, the pain is excruciating. Time doesn't heal. Listen, forgiveness heals. Or how about this one? I'll forgive when they come and say they're sorry. I interrupt this message to bring you breaking news. Most likely, they ain't coming. And even if they do, your attitude and spirit of unforgiveness would prevent you from being able to really receive them like you should. 
Again, forgiveness is hard work. But forgive we must if we hope to live with the best of God's blessings in the coming year. The fourth truth about forgiveness in this text is that forgiveness reflects the character of Christ. Five times in verse 10, Paul used some form of the word forgive. I read this and I thought it was good. The key to forgiveness is found in the word give. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to those who don't deserve it. That's exactly what God does to us. Listen, we don't forgive because of anything the person has done. And we don't forgive because their repentance has earned forgiveness. We forgive others because Jesus forgives us. It's just that simple. Well, Brother Prater, that's not fair. (laughs) Whoever said there was anything fair about forgiveness? I've taught you this before. There is a word for fair. And that word is justice. Justice is fair. Forgiveness is grace. Church, we don't deserve forgiveness. As sinners, we deserve justice. But aren't you glad God doesn't deal with us in justice? Listen, none of us would be sitting here this morning if we got what we deserved. And listen, I'd rather have God's forgiveness than his fairness any day. Any day. And isn't it interesting how we always want justice when it comes to the other guy. But when it comes to us, we want grace. Am I right? Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Our pastor just finished a tremendous series on the book of, of, of Ephesians. And he wrote and he said this in chapter 4 and verse 32. And be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. And then look what he said. Forgiving one another. Because they deserve it. Is that what he said? No, he said forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake. Not for the sake of the one who hurt you. Not for the sake of the one who who wronged you. No, Paul said, forgive for, for, for Christ's sake. That's why God forgives us. It's not because we're all worthy and, 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 and deserving of forgiveness. God forgives us for Christ's sake. And we are to forgive others for Christ's sake. In other words, forgiveness is giving others what God has given you. The gospel isn't just about receiving forgiveness. The gospel is also about giving forgiveness. In other words, forgiveness doesn't just flow to us. No, it is supposed to flow through us. 
And that brings us to Paul's final teaching point with regard to forgiveness, and it's this, and this is important. Forgiveness thwarts Satan's schemes. Paul reminds us here of the high price of unforgiveness. Look at it, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Why do we forgive? Because we don't want Satan to get an advantage in our life. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Listen, just two or three weeks ago, our pastor stood in this pulpit and exposed the devil for who he is and for how he works and what he does. I mean, he just laid it out there. We're not, listen church, we're not ignorant of the devil. And we're not ignorant of who he is and what he does and how he works. The word devices here speaks, it's really a, a military term. It's a military strategy. And if I can put it in modern day terms, it, it has the idea of, of an elite team of special ops soldiers who, who work their way under cover of darkness uh, into uh, the, behind enemy lines and in, into, the, into enemy territory. And they do it unawares. And that's exactly what has happened to many Christians, maybe even some sitting here this morning. Your unforgiveness, even unbeknownst to you, has allowed Satan to set up a, a, a vantage point, a, a, a position of, of operation in your heart. And you're not really sure what, what's going on. But, but lately, maybe for, for some time now, you've, you've found yourself getting angry without a cause. And you found yourself just really quick to criticize. And you avoid talking to, to certain people. And, 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 and you've, you've, you've so unlike you, you've begun nursing this victim mentality and and you're ripping into innocent people and, and you're saying unkind things and then just trying to, to laugh it off. Are you with me? I mean, again, this is so unlike you. This is not really who you are. And, 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 and you refuse to, to meet with certain people or, or there are just certain people, those people that, that you just seem to be consumed with, with thoughts of them and and you're consumed with, with bitterness and, and you know something is wrong, but you just can't put your finger on it. Maybe Satan has got an advantage in your life because of unforgiveness. And you didn't even know it. It's kind of like having a low-grade fever where you feel rotten all the time but not sick enough to go to the doctor. You know what I'm talking about? You just, and I'm just, I'm just not motivated. I don't feel good. I, you're just dragging around and moping around and, and, and you're miserable. But because you can still function, you just shrug off your bad attitude. You just shrug off your quick temper. 
You just shrug off your, your sharp tongue. Well, I'm just having a bad day. And then that bad day turns into a bad week. And then that bad week turns into a bad month. Or another bad month. Or another bad month. And here's what's happened. Satan has got an advantage over you that you were never even aware of. Am I making sense this morning? That's how he works. And Paul said, listen, listen, you, listen, church, you need to forgive this man because if you don't, you're leaving yourself open for the devil to come in and do things in you and in this church that you don't want to happen. And that can happen to us. And again, maybe it's already happened to somebody sitting before me this morning. The light has just come on. Just now, as I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit has went ding. There it is. He's exactly right. And I'm telling you, until you deal with unforgiveness, you will continue to be miserable. To withhold forgiveness is to play right into Satan's hands to reinforce his war and to join his cause. And perhaps as we prepare to enter 2021, as you're sitting here this morning or watching online, you may be aware of some bitterness or some anger or some unresolved issues that you need to deal with in order to get rid of Satan's base camp in your life. And church, here's what I'd encourage you to do this morning. Whatever the Lord has shown you, you need to deal with it. Whose face have you been seeing while I've been preaching this morning? Who is it that you need to forgive? Somebody at church? Somebody at work? Somebody at home? Somebody in your family? I hope you understand this morning that as long as you harbor unforgiveness, you're leaving the door wide open for Satan to wreak havoc in your life and in your relationships. I began the message by talking about Good Riddance Day. The folks in New York, they mean well, but honestly, the best they can offer is self-improvement. By shredding their grievances. All they're, all they're doing is, is letting off some steam. I'm thankful this morning that Christianity goes further than that and deeper than that. Because it bases everything on what Christ has done for us. Having, having been forgiven so much and at so great a cost. Can we not forgive those who disappointed us? Whatever, whatever forgiveness cost us, 
And sometimes it does cost a lot. It can never cost us what it cost Jesus when he hung on the cross. The Son of God dying for the sins of a rebel race, crying out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe we should all, right here, right now, make 2020 a year of good riddance in which we say no to things like anger and bitterness and blaming and finger-pointing and self-justification and a critical spirit and ask God to grant us a fresh infusion of His grace in all of our relationships. Would you pray with me this morning?